So, Joel Hubbard. Yes. How do we know what we know? Well, I just do. I, I just, just do. know what I know. And I know I'm right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, can, I think that wraps up the End podcast. End of the episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope that was helpful to everybody. If only if I wasn't wrong consistently. Yeah. But it's funny how some people are envious of the fact that some of us types can be like confident in that space. Like ah. just be like, yeah, I, I just, I just know. Right. And some of us feel like we know yeah. more than we know. Some of us feel like we know less than we know. Yeah. But how do we know what we know? Well, there's all sorts of reactions to that because it's like, if, if I'm wrong, you know, what then? Mm. So good thing I'm not. Phew, I know, right? Such a close call. I could have gone the other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then I changed my mind and then I know mm. what I know. Right. right. You know, all over again. You know? Right. So one of those ways that I know must have changed. So now I knew even more. Right. But you know, it's funny how you don't look back. You switch your mind and then it's like, no, that's it. I, yeah. I know this now. And there's no, there's no like, how did I get here? Yeah. To me, it's really fascinating how I have these conversations with people and they can switch and they have changed. But for them, there's no sense of how that happened. Mm. It's just, no, this is right now. I just, I just know this to be right. And I think that's a big miss because if you don't learn how, you were wrong and how you, how you know what you know, then you get stuck in these places where you perceive the world a certain way and it definitely has problematic effects. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about a couple days ago, I was at the gym and a guy came up to me. We was a friend. We've played racquetball together before and we started talking and the conversation took us to a group that he hangs out with that are extreme in one view, like extreme politically in, mm. in one one view. So they they just, they ping the right end of things, the conservative yeah. right. And so they said, this particular racial group, they're all lazy. And he says to me, I'm wow. sitting here going, I, I, what would make you say that? Like, how'd you get there? How'd you get there? That's you know, the question. Challenging them. Like, and, yes. and I said, and that didn't help, did it? He said, no, it does not. There is no arguing with certain people. Now, this isn't, he's not classifying a group of people. It's just yeah. these individuals that he's interacting with, who, by the way, he's friends with, yeah, but sure. said, you know, there's just no changing them because it's not about rationality. Mm, interesting. So how do they know what they know? Like, how did you get there? I think that's a question we don't ask enough. Like, how did you get there? When, when I've had those discussions with people, or I have that with myself, right? Well, this is sort of what I think about this. How did I get here? And part of it's because I wanted to. But you're talking about people changing their minds and not even realizing change their minds. I was like, right, there's kind of two ways you can fall off this cliff. Because there are people I've met that kind of scare me. They have never changed their minds. Oh, so yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, this is what I was given. This is what I was told. I was handed whatever it was. And I just stay with it. And I don't yeah. question it. Yeah. So that's one cliff to fall off on one side of the mountain. The other side of the mountain is oh, I changed my mind and I I completely disagree with the way I used to think. That was just so silly. But I don't actually consider how the evolution happened. So I'm really curious to hear how you've laid this out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy, that remi- and that totally, what you mentioned, the second example is mm-hmm. one that I vividly remember conversation with a guy who was politically extreme conservative yep. and then was arguing with me because I was taking more of a, like, let's just look at all of it and let's yeah. be open to it and and kind of work with with what we have and and keep learning together. And he was f- 
furious with me because I wouldn't take his position. Right. And then a year later, he's exactly on the opposite end, extreme, and now attacking me for not being as extreme left as he was. Wow. And I'm saying, well, then how did you get, but how did you make you that leap? That, right? Like, there, and there was, <laughs> there was no like going there. So, so he just didn't have any awareness no. of like how he transitioned. It no. was like, I, like, I thought I was in the truth, but now I'm really in the truth. Like I thought I understood, yeah. but now I really understand. And I know there was something because you don't just huh. make the switch. Something happened. You had an experience and it affected you pretty deeply. Yeah. And then you made the switch. But I think it's a need for certainty that prevents us from looking back to see how we got to where we got to. Mm. It's that absolute, it's that need for no, for certainty that I'm right. Yeah. That I think uh, prevents us from that. So, yeah. But I have to be honest, like from the beginning, the, I'm not as likely to fall off the side of, I just always believe the same thing. And I always like think the same way. Like I'm much more likely to be susceptible to changing my mind and then not really being aware of how I got here or kind of feeling shame for the former self and the oh, former yeah. view. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. that, that shame makes me kind of pull back at really looking at it. Oh, you're attacking the the person you were before. Yes. And you're finding that person in other people. Yeah. I have to kill, I have to oh, kill, kill me oh, yeah, wherever I find me, <laughs> yeah. especially yeah. if people who are, are like what I used to be like, oh, I have the, I have the hardest time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's TNT. I mean, you're dropping bombs on. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, so this field in the branch of philosophy, just for you nerds out there is called epistemology and it has to do with primarily the study of knowledge, how do we know what we know and how deeply can we know things? Mm. So it's all around that. And the field is so broad and so big and so deep that this is definitely not what we're not covering that. We're, you know, I'm not a philosopher, haven't studied philosophy, so I'm no way qualified to speak about. But what I do want to talk about is how we come to knowledge, I think is really important. And that understanding that about ourselves, then we can, I think, make a big difference in terms of our own development and growth. Mm. Because that's one of the things that we come up with in coaching quite a bit. And we find it in ourselves all the time, even more so perhaps in ourselves than we do in others. Yeah. But the assumptions that we have, the beliefs that we have, that we that we don't question. Now, we're not, I'm not advocating we question our beliefs and become one of these people that have, you know, I question everything and I can't move forward. That's not the, right, the, the right. game at all to play. But rather it's for us to understand that while we know how we got to our beliefs, it may feel less certain to us because we can see now what influenced us, how we got to where we got to, and yet still be able to make a humble and yet bold move forward in life. Well, this is what we do with the Enneagram all the time. Like people who have a particular type and they don't realize they have a type, that they have a lens, that they have mm -hmm. a perspective. Yeah. We moralize our type. So the work of the Enneagram, so much of what we do is to make the unconscious conscious, as Carl Jung says. Otherwise, it will direct our course and we will call it fate, as he says. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what you're talking about is when it comes to knowledge, how do we believe what we believe? that this study can help us take the unconscious and make it conscious. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do today. We're trying to make the unconscious conscious in the realm of how do we know what we know. And it has huge ramifications relationally. Ooh, it does. Huge. And um, spiritually and politically oh and, and yeah. relationally. Yeah. Yes. Because we can finally have conversation at that point. Oh, oh, that's how I got to where I got to. Right. Yeah. There's my story. There's my bias. Right. I see it. 
So that doesn't mean I, I look down on it. Doesn't no. mean no. I can actually own it with some measure of like levity and and ownership. Like that, yeah, yeah that's me. That's me. So I think there are sort of three, I've whittled it down to three, but there's far more. And this is, you know, hardly adequate. But let's start with the three that I'm thinking about in terms of three ways that we know what we know. Mm. And I think one is community. So I'm using that rather loosely because it includes everything, like your culture, your upbringing, the whole, wherever you grew up, whatever country you grew up in will, in large part, shape who you are. So it's your environment. Your environment shapes a lot of how you think. Sure. Right. You mentioned already a personality type. So I think that is not one of the three, but we've talked a lot about that in our work here, is your personality type tends towards a particular way of seeing things. And then the environment definitely influences how we see what we see. Yeah. I mean, if you, not even just the country you're born in, like if you grew up in Massachusetts here, you're going to have a very different perspective than you would if you're in, you know, uh, rural Alabama. It's going to have a very different implication on how you think and what you think. But the process is very conditional based on location. Yeah. So it's an environment, but it's actually a location as well. Oh, I mean, I remember um, one of my family members, extended family members, uh, moved to a different state and said, and this was in a completely different area and said, oh, my gosh, I realized just how my thinking Mm is, you know, now you're questioning your assumptions because it's what you came with. Right. But no one in your environment has that, holds those same values. So yeah, that's a, that's a huge... You, huge you see this with people that move. When people have moved and lived in different cities, different parts, different countries, they have a very different perspective of life than someone who grows and lives in one. Yeah. So it, location has a huge impact. Yeah. It can help you to understand how people think differently. Mm -hmm. It's funny because one of the studies that was done uh, by a couple of sociologists on this had to do with, I think, race and multiculturalism. Mm. And these two, what they discovered in their research was that uh, people who grew up in monocultures, monocultural environments. What does that mean? um, Single culture, single race, single uh, way of thinking. Mm -hmm. So just like you were describing, actually had a harder time identifying themselves, understanding who they were than those who grew up in multicultural environments. They seem to have a stronger sense of identity. So rather than a loss of identity in a multicultural environment, people tended to understand themselves a little bit better because they could interact with those who were different than they they were. And that helped them to deepen who they were at the same time, maybe hold a little bit more appreciation for the way other people see things uh, differently from them. If you have to explain yourself... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I suppose you will, yeah. You'd Instead of just assuming, thinking. then yeah. you actually have to get better at explaining the difference in how you think. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an important piece, culture. How I come to the world, do I know what that is? Can I, can I name that? Can I see that that definitely has influenced how I see things? Yeah. Without calling it right or wrong, just understanding that's part of how I know what I know. Yeah. So are we calling that culture, community, location? Those are all kind of Yeah, I can't, I don't together. know. I, I just put community as the, the piece okay. of it because I think it's, it, a lot of it is influenced through people. Like what are people mm. saying? How are they viewing things? And if you're raised around that, you're going to be highly influenced by it. Now you may have a reaction to it and be like, I don't think the way they think. Some of us do. Some totally, some of us do. I did. Yeah. But- Nonetheless, I could still see the influences it had mm-hmm. on me. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. But then because some of us have a natural uh, reaction to the environment we're in, so we seek it externally and and develop a, a wider perspective. But some include the wider perspective, and so they increase their relational circle, have a wider circle. Mm. And then some, like, reject where they came from entirely, and now that becomes the negative thing. Yeah. And then they go into one of these other circles. So this is one thing I've seen as far as this community piece. So someone is raised in a particular environment that holds certain values. Something happens to that person where they strongly disagree with the values that they grew up in. But instead of like widening and then including several other perspectives, they take the dogmatism of that environment and then they go into another world and superimpose the dogmatism and that becomes another small world. So you can expand your world by going in and including these other experiences or some people just shift, like you were saying that one guy did, from one dogmatic situation to another. Like so many of us know like the fundamentalist religious person who became the fundamentalist atheist. Oh, yeah. Some I grew up in this kind of culture and I didn't like it. So I removed and I and I lived into this kind of culture. That piece really does influence us. And I don't know that we question it. That's such the the water that we swim in kind of an issue. Yeah. You don't know the water you swim in because it's easy to forget the one you came from and how influential it was when you're looking at the present around you. And the present around you is such a strong force. <laughs> yeah. Well, this gets super deep in terms of, again, epistemology. It has, how do you know? Yeah. How do you know what you know? What is knowledge? So it even asks the question of what is knowledge? Is it because you, you've acquired facts? You've acquired information? You know, if you can envision and picture Mount Everest, but you've never been to Mount Everest, yeah. is it the same thing? And so there's, there's all sorts of ways of getting at knowledge. You're mentioning someone who is dogmatic in one area and then because they get exposed to something else, Mm -hmm. maybe an experience plus exposure causes them to make a switch and they go to that. I'm not sure that they're still understanding how they know what they know. I'm still not Mm -hmm. sure that, Hmm. that we know fully what has formed us, what has shaped us. You know, if I'm dogmatic, it, it at very least means that I need certainty. And so I'm going to ignore a lot of you know, pieces of data, mm. experiences, conversations with people. I'm going to ignore that which doesn't serve that. And so I'm not, I'm not going to really know at a deeper level. I'm going to feel certainty is safer for me than real deeper knowledge. Mm. Well, you just mentioned the whole knowing about Everest, you know, seeing pictures versus like actually having climbed it and experienced it and like that, the difference of knowledge. So is, is experience one of these ways that you know, you know, that's the second one. Ooh, all right. <laughs> see, you, you see how smooth you actually just let into it. Like, yeah. yeah. So experience is huge. I think probably one of the most formative, right? Because it includes the piece of community, right? Cause you're, mm-hmm. you're having experiences with your community. You're having experiences with people around you. But community is how influenced am I by those around me? How influenced am I by my environment? You know, And do I recognize the influence it has on me? And the second one is, what are the formative experiences? Mm. And if I've had a, a real profound experience, it changes me. But there's a reason why I may avoid experiences or may have an experience and avoid having a real conversation with that experience, allowing it to shape me and change me. Mm. Because again, I don't want to have the deeper knowledge. In fact, I really just want 
to be right. <laughs> mm. I want to feel safe. And so I've talked to people who've had profound experiences that should have shaped and changed them <laughs> in many regards, but they didn't know what to do with it. And so they, they sort of just hold it in this file in their minds where it is in this, I don't know what to do with it file. Yeah. You know, I think that's a big part of, yeah, that's a big part of it. I'm like, that's my dominant file, I think, now. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know what to do with this. But holding it, there's, it's okay if we don't know what to do with it. Right. But it's the, like, engaging it as opposed yes. to, like, I file this away so that I don't look at it again because I don't understand it. Yes. And if you had a, what you would classify as a positive or a negative experience within the, the context of the location, the community, then the experience within that, whether it was negative or positive, either pushes against that messaging or doubles down on no, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so you're being led towards what you know by the combination of those two experiences then. Oh, yeah. So here's a, okay. <laughs> this is a client that, I'm tracking that, so far. that I talked with. Uh, this client was, was a type six. So this conversation took us into the need for support. And the experience this client had was one that confirmed that the big boss was not supportive of her. Okay. Okay. But the data that was extracted was curated data. It's like this particular set of data confirms to me that I'm not supported by my, my boss. Explain that a bit more. What do you mean? So uh, there were certain words that were said that she heard from her boss that made her feel like you do not have my back. Oh, so this is the filtering. It's the filtering system. Ah. How do we know what we know? Well, I know. Because I filter. Because I filtered this information and I know that I'm not supported. Well, the filter then informs the experience. Oh, it's, it's all part of that. Absolutely. It's the experience. That experience of, I had this really painful exchange. All right. What do I do with this exchange? Well, it's filtered through my type. Yeah. And, and my type is seeking support and I'm clearly not supported. Now I'm terrified. Then this client finds out that a ton of other people around her, her peers, support her. Mm. And that was such an, a powerful exchange because we talked about that. Like, so are you saying that the support of the big boss has more impact on you than the support of your peers? And, for some. you know, for some, absolutely. Because, I mean, well, they hold the position of power, right? So, so, yeah. so clearly that, that would play itself out that way. But, but the second, the follow-up question was, but you've had an experience of support. Mm. Did you see it? And did you take it in? Mm. Okay. So knowledge to me has to do with experience as well. Because otherwise you can look at that and go, I'm not supported. Right. So we've talked to heart types who oftentimes are, are wanting to be loved, but are having a hard time receiving it. Right. Yeah. But are people trying to love you? <laughs> and I'll bet that the people in your environment have tried to express love to you. But what's your response to that? So as far as you're concerned, your inner monologue says, I'm not lovable. <laughs> There's something right. about me that's, right? So that's the reason why it's so important to understand what's happening in terms of what's forming and shaping your knowledge of yourself, your knowledge of the world around you mm. has a lot to do with your experience plus the filter of your type. Yeah. So I wonder kind of, this is a chicken and the egg thing. This is a little bit of that nurture nature question. Like in the community impact more or the filter because the combination there then leads to the experience which then leads to a reaction <laughs> or some of some kind 
and our, our reaction is also what forms what we know. Mm. Like it's it's this is the the through line that I'm seeing. You could have the filter first, you know, that's built in your type, whatever, um, and then you have the community, the location, and then an experience with that community or location provided by the filter, and that creates something. So this is the through line that's creating like the where I am now spot oh, yeah. on the map. Oh, that I think is why I was so excited when I first heard about the Enneagram, learned about the Enneagram was mm. I had all kinds of reasons for why I was excited. But one of them was, oh my gosh, this is the first time I could see how we could actually talk to each other beyond just our, oh. our, our boxes of knowledge. Like yeah. I know what I know and I see the world a certain way yeah. and it is what it is. To, oh no, that's how I see it. And that's that's who I am. And if I can understand how my community, my environment impacted me, again, we start with a, an experience that interacts with our sort of hardwired parts of our type. We don't know how much of it's hardwired, but hardwired parts. And then you have this experience, this this reaction to the experience that then begins to form who we are, our personality, you know, mm. and, and which, as you said, then adds more experience, right? So the more that you respond or react to your experiences, the more you create other experiences that then oftentimes confirm what you already believed, right? Oh, man. This is what relationship, this is what a romantic relationship looks like because I confirmed it by all these experiences because this filter <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that then created where I then attract the very thing the very in order thing. to confirm. Yeah. Because this is what we, we say this about our Enneagram type. Our Enneagram types need is looking to confirm itself. It's looking to confirm the core belief yeah. with our more, more of our experiences. Yeah. So it's like not only the how do we know what we know, but now we are actively trying to confirm what we think we know in our current experiences. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You t- makes me sound like I'm like, if I see that in myself, I feel a little sick, a little twisted about that. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. I don't like that. I don't like that I do that. Yeah, it, it is. I'm uncomfortable now, Joel. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Great. That's, why, that's the gift I bring. So what, what do we do about it? Well, so <laughs> let's have the third component. Okay, yes. Okay. The third component I'm calling rationality, but it could be things like we can include under that like data, Data in its natural form is without bias. Now, that's you know, be challenged by those of you who definitely understand philosophy at a deeper level and the neurosciences. We do see everything as perspective. There is no, mm-hmm. you know. There's no pure data. No, no. But there is good data. But there's good data and there's, and it's just, inc- I think it's including the broad range. So imagine if I saw the world through all nine types, if I could yeah. do that. I would see broadly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd see perspectives I don't naturally hold. Right. That could be tremendously helpful to me because yes. they might be perspectives that are, that help me to loosen up and actually not be so self-destructive. So if we take rationality and we think about what is it that I'm looking at, can I look at that from a more rational standpoint? Mm-hmm. So experience is very visceral. And so it's experience hits you in your core. That's a very emotional, physical, you know, visceral experience. And then the brain has to catch up. The the rational part of the brain goes, what the hell just happened? You know, and then it's catching up and trying to make sense of it. You know, as Jonathan Haidt calls it, you know, the rider and the elephant. You know, it's like the elephant's really going where it wants. And then the rider, which is the rational brain goes, yeah, that's that's where I wanted to go. You know, and that's, so Uh, it it makes up all of that stuff. So it's important to understand that experience actually holds, and that's why I put it in this order, is experience actually holds far more of the 
the impact on how we see the world and what we know okay. than it is our rational minds. Mm. Okay. Now that's that's an affront to those like me who are head types who actually think that we're rational yeah. and we're seeing the world through, you know, a rational lens. Yeah. But if we can really tune into experience, that formed a lot of how we see and then rationalize as a result of things. Oh, for sure. <laughs> this concept that we are being just rational, it's such a trick. Cause because mm. no, you're not. I, I've never met the person that this perspective you're telling me right now, this is this is 100% rational. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no. That proves that you're not actually being rational because you're not seeing the through line of these other things of how we know what we know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, and I think that's the reason why when we incorporate all three centers, as we've talked about, yeah. then we become deeper in our thinking. Yeah. Our thinking is, and you know, so it's just beautiful. Our thinking, our feeling, yeah. our doing is really integrated when we have all three online. Well, it gives us like wider interpretive lens. I think it's an old G.K. Chesterton quote. He was talking something about our spiritual sight should be like our physical sight. We see from two different perspectives at once and we see all the better because of it. Mm. So I think when we actually can see through like the wider perspective of all three centers, we're seeing with the body's experience location. We are seeing with our feelings and we're being you know, rational, but one of those isn't just taking over and running the show. Then we actually do have a better chance at seeing the whole picture. We're seeing in 3D. You know, this is why we, I've talked about this before, is truth from all three centers. Like, mm. you know, if you're aware that you're feeling something, yeah, then you know how it's impacting you and you can speak from that center. Like, oh yep. yeah, I'm feeling whatever. And I know it's affecting how I'm seeing things right now. Now here's how I'm seeing things. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's from the head center. Yeah. Here's what I want to do about it. From the body center. And I think that then you have a better understanding of what true knowledge is. (laughs) Do I know? What do I know? How do I know what I know? Mm -hmm. So I think rationality is important as a way to see that, oh, I am being, in the case that we described of the heart type, I am being loved. Mm. But why am I not receiving it? That's a rational question. Right. Right. Because that's that's using the head center in its proper role, which is curiosity, openness, right, questioning. That is interesting. Why am I not? But I can also see like how, you know, with some heart types they do that head heart loop thing. They go in and they are creating a interpretation in the rationale space and then believing that's there's true. rationality. Yeah. yeah. Which is why it's actually not fully true until you actually check it against the body, check it against the experience with other people in real time, in this world, in this time and place. It's like the third check, the third branch of the of the government. Yeah, right? yeah. It's supposed to provide these checks and balances. The head, heart and body should be ch- providing checks and balances for each other. Yeah. And so it's I think it's easy for us to do what we've talked about in, in the exiting the loop, you know, where we'll use two of them and think we're we're good. Yeah. You know, because I know I do that. Like, I know I'm like, I think about what to do and I do it. And then it, it makes sense to me and I and then it's right. But I'm not fully integrated until I'm checking in with the heart center and it has yeah. to get like <laughs> validated there. Yeah. But yeah. since you've done that, hasn't it helped you with communication and For sure. relationship with people? Yeah. Yeah, because I notice when I'm really disrupted, 
I want to pull that one back. Hmm. So there's always one I want to pull that each of us, I think, want to pull back Mm -hmm. when we're in a situation. Oh, yeah. And I think when I'm in a situation that makes me really uncomfortable, when I'm really triggered, the heart is the one I'll pull back. Yeah. Just like I think with, with hard types, you see this where a lot of times when they're really triggered, they want to process everything in the internal world between the heart and the head and they'll pull the action, their body away from it in order to process that. And so I think we all have this thing where we want to pull one back. It's a, it is a safety reflex, mm-hmm. but it's, if we actually <laughs> want to come to this, this wider knowing, we have to pull that one back in. Yeah. And I know like that's when I'm starting to move in a healthier direction when I go, okay, I need to put this one out there. Yeah. And I know I'll do it when I put it out there with other people. Makes you le- I think it makes you less dogmatic because yeah. we all can be that way no matter what type we are. We can become – there's a certain dogmatism of each, I think, center of intelligence. You know, and, and we've experienced it in relationship mm-hmm. with one another You know, where I'm supposed to be open and fun-loving and, and easygoing. Um, ask my wife. That's not the case at all. You know, <laughs> and when she asks me or or, you know, challenges me or something, I can have a very – dogmatic, black and white, fixed kind of reaction. Hmm. So I think that when all three centers are really interacting with each other, you, I have not never experienced an engagement with somebody where I felt their three centers or felt my own, where there was any sort of rigidity, dogmatism, you know, seeking certainty and absolutisms um, along the way. Yeah. I can hear the objection, though, as far as like there's this moral perspective almost nowadays to be open, like everything's got to just stay really open. And I I do agree to a certain extent that, you know, the purpose of an open mind is the same as an open mouth. It's to close on something solid. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't think we can actually do that until we're integrating kind of all three centers where we have that kind of clarity. And then we check that clarity against our experience and we check that against and with community. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And we're honest about our type and the making the conscious unconscious. It's that through line where there is wisdom. Yes. Because and it's not certainty at that point, but it is wisdom. I think it's a deeper level of knowing. So this totally. is where it gets to that. How do we know what we know? Well, there's a deeper level of knowing. Going and from knowing to deep knowing. To deep knowing. Yeah. 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 It's the experience of all of that coming together. Yeah. And I and I think of the times where I have felt that deeper sense of knowing, mm. and it was in what you were describing, where my three centers were integrating and I was doing this in community. And it meant that at times in the dialogue, in the interaction, I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable. I felt insecure. Mm-hmm. I felt a little scared because what I thought was not being agreed on by others and what I thought we should do was, you know, being challenged and all of this was happening. But when I was able to relax as best as I could into that process, that then something beautiful emerges that brings us all together. And there's like this, yeah, that's, that's the action that needs to be taken. Yeah. This is, this is the way to go. And then in that moment, I do feel a measure of confidence. It's a different kind of knowing. It's a knowing that is it is absolute, a though. It's not it's an not absolutism. A, no. It's not a no. It doesn't. It doesn't fit in that. No. It's it's more kind of like oh, this is where I am now, to the best of my knowledge. This is I think is best and what I think is right. I could be wrong. 
you know, I want to stay open to that. I think this is the best one right now. Yeah. There's there's something to being really honest about that. Being honest and saying, it's not like I think everything is right or everything is fine. It, it's I actually think this is the right way to go. Mm. I think this is good. I, I'm going to make a call on this. Yeah. But I'm always okay with being proven wrong. Yeah. You know? I'm always open to expanding this perspective. But... I think this is the wisest way to go right now. But I think that is that is the difference between wisdom and certainty. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> certainty is like, this is what it is. And it's very fixed, right? Wisdom sees itself as part of evolution, not of destination. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think the deep knowing has more to do with the wisdom of the now as part of the evolution instead of the certainty of forever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that whole thing of like, you you know, can you enter the journey? Because that will mean you'll have to pivot. You'll have to pivot quite a bit. Yeah. And if you're looking for something that has a guarantee at the end <laughs> and it's got a clearly laid out map of how to go from point A to point B with all the rights and the lefts and the, the turns and the bends in the road and you have it all mapped out. Yeah. That's certainty. That feels really good. <laughs> yeah. That's, I've always said, that's the book I would write if I had no soul. Ooh, yeah. yeah. The book I would write if I had no soul would give to people certainty about all this. Yeah. And you would sell it. And I would sell it. You'd be a televangelist. And... <laughs> but I can't. I know. It's, I have it, to engage with the mystery. Isn't it? Isn't it t- it's, it's so true. It's like, I can't, I can't do that either. Yeah. For integrity's sake. Yeah, if I'm, I'm actually like, going to be yeah, in integrity yeah, with myself. Yeah. I have to be a part of the mystery and the evolution of the now. So thanks so much for listening and for joining us today as we think about how do we know what we know? How do we be aware of the waters we are swimming in? So before you go, a couple things we are super excited about. One of them is the launch of our next round of certification. You can find that on our website, theartofgrowth.org, under classes and events. And there's also a section for the Art of Growth community, which is launching very soon. So keep an eye out for the newsletter, but also next week's episode where we introduce you to Lisa, a graduate of our certification process, who is going to be taking the helm. Make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss anything and sign up for our newsletter at theartofgrowth.org. You can also take a free Enneagram test there, instincts test, and get to know yourself even better. But for now, my friends, may you pay attention to and become more aware of the waters in which you are swimming. Be more aware of what is influencing you, what has shaped you, who has shaped you, so you can direct where you want to go with more intentionality. When thoughts arise, may you pause and consider where did this come from? Do I want to keep this? Do I want to question this? Do I want to challenge this? Do I want to welcome it? All of this so you more intentionally shape you. Grace and growth, my friends. <laughs>